Anyway, uh, as Eric said, we have a gospel class coming up. Uh, if you want to be a member of Element, three things are required. The first one is that you're a Christian. Okay. <laughs> Just kind of a given, you know, church, Christian, whatever. Okay. Uh, second thing is that you're baptized. That doesn't mean you have to be baptized at Element or through Element. Just baptized somewhere in your life. You made a confession as, as a believer and you were baptized. And the third thing is the gospel class. Uh, the gospel class uh, is a lot of fun. You get to ask a whole lot of questions, but it covers things like, uh, why do we trust scripture? Who is God? Uh, Jesus, sin, salvation, uh, stewardship of gifts that God has given you, and what a missional church is. How we believe that God calls us to live in this world. So we go through all of those things. You can ask any questions you want during the class. It's a great time. Uh, we've done it like on a Monday night, a Wednesday night, a Tuesday night, and so we're figuring to try a Sunday morning too, see if anybody wants to go. So, and so it's going to start, like I said, on September 20th. Then on September 23rd, we're going to start a Wednesday night uh, class that's going to run eight weeks. There will be child care for it, and the, the kids are going to kind of be studying not the same thing that you are, but some basic doctrines of Christianity, so you guys can go home and talk about some stuff. But we're going to do an eight-week class on world religions, where we'll talk about, you know, what are these people knocking on my door and trying to hand me stuff? Who are these people? We'll, we will talk about all that, uh, as well as, like, you know, Scientology and, and Hinduism and stuff like that. We'll go through all that. You can also ask questions at that class. It'll be a lot of fun, because I like making fun of people. So, you know, it's, it's always great for me. <laughs> and then you can ask it's it's all good. Now, uh, most of you guys here, you're breathing this morning, right? You're breathing, right? We don't have to. Good. Uh, if you can breathe, you can help Christy Morangi. Uh, she needs a bunch of balloons blown up for this thing we're doing on Thursday and Friday. So if you are so willing to breathe into some balloons, you can run back there and talk to her. She'll give you some to take home, and you can blow up these balloons and bring them back sometime this week for our event uh, Thursday and Friday night. So there you go. You're breathing. You can do it. I, I have faith in you. You guys are, you guys are good. Why don't you guys stay on me for reading of God's Word? This is Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, I ask that we are a people who understand uh, the gospel, uh, the resurrection, the life, death, resurrection of you. And so that we would be a people who live and walk in the strength that you long to give us. And we would be a people who live as if the resurrection is true for everybody. Amen. Have a seat. All right. We are almost done with the Gospel of John. We've got two weeks left. Funny thing, we're not even going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, but that's okay. I still call this part of the Gospel of John. Uh, we ended last week uh, with the truth of the resurrection. You got to see that. Uh, you saw that if Jesus is Lord, then everything is implicated in the resurrection of Christ. I gave you this quote. Mark Driscoll writes that the resurrection is not a color on the palette, but a canvas on which we paint our lives. This week we're going to look at what that actually means for you and I as a people. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about the death and the cross and that Jesus died for your sins, but what are the implications of the resurrection? It is everything. The truth of the resurrection means everything. Today I hope you understand that. You'll get this unless I totally Charlie Brown it and it'll be terrible, but hopefully you will get this. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're going to talk about what this means, the issue of the resurrection and eternal life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's reflection on what the resurrection actually will mean to us as a people. Uh, now, you've got to understand something when you get to the book of 1 Corinthians. The, the Corinthian church, they're insane. Okay? They're, they're, they're crazy nuts. Uh, some people say, oh, we want to be like the early church. 
Yeah, not all of them, okay? You don't want to be like, this, the Corinthian church is like Jerry Springer straight to DVD because you can't show it on TV. That, that is the Corinthian church. There's got a guy sleeping with his stepmom and nobody cares. Uh, you know, guys don't want to go to work so they sue other Christians and take their money so they can be lazy. That's not the point when Jesus says, don't sue your brother. They kind of just missed it all together. You got people getting drunk at communion. So it's like, you know, we have wine and grape juice at communion and you show up to each booth and be like, oh, let me go to the next one, you know, just to get your little buzz going or something. If if you get drunk at communion, you've got moderation issues, okay? So that's that's kind of their, their deal. So Paul deals with all the moral issues that the Corinthian church is going through. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he crescendos with the idea of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, it should change how we live. It should change us as a people. Paul says you need to understand the resurrection. This will impact your entire life. What you drink, who you sleep with, how you spend your money, your friends, where you live. And he is writing to Christians who should know better than some of the things that they are doing. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, goes like this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Now, the gospel, that is the story of Jesus, the story of what he has done, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died, rose three days later. The heart of the Old Testament points to Jesus, this this whole thing of what he has done. The gospel accounts tell the story. In the New Testament, the rest of it reflects back on what this means for our lives. The gospel is paramount for the people of God. The purpose of the church is the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, that Jesus died and he rose and we can have redemption and have relationship with God again. That is the gospel. It is paramount. I mean, you want morality and and marriage, marriage is healed and bad guys changed and the world put right and people to be more kind? You need the gospel. Uh, it answers people's questions. It turns knuckleheads into heroes. And if anything becomes a central point other than the cross and the empty tomb, we have gone astray. It is all about the gospel. Throughout all history, all the heresies that have come up have always evolved around false assumptions about Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.10 tells you the gospel is the test of sound doctrine. All doctrine will come out of your view of who Jesus Christ is. Our sin for his life. Jesus died. Jesus rose. You get that. You get everything. So Paul tells uh, the gospel. Uh, Romans 1.16, which I started with, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. People who claim to be Christians and have no change in their life show evidence they have never actually encountered the living God. So Paul says, my, now, my brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. And I like that he says that I preached to you because it kind of validates my job a little bit. You know, somebody's got to preach and may as well be me, right? Yeah, okay, that, that's good. You know, today in churches, there's this whole push about having the community of the church set the theology of the church. That's terrible. We will never do that. I've talked to you, some of, guys, some of you guys, and you're crazy, okay? So that'll never happen. You guys are like, oh, I think that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a little nuts. You know, that, that's, that's never going to happen. You know, there's a reason that you get me almost every single week because I tell you about Jesus every week. I had this guy come up to me about a year ago, and he goes, oh, you're at that element place. And I go, yeah, that element place because... I mock people. Uh, and, and, and he goes, God told me I'm supposed to come speak in your church. And I go, because <laughs> I do that too. And, and, and I go, and he goes, why is that funny? And I said, because God didn't tell me and God didn't tell our elders. So 
you're a little weird, you need to go away. You know, it's, and that was a conversation, and I've never seen him again, but, but that's okay. We are very careful who we let teach you. Very careful, because anyone who speaks here must be true to the gospel, and not some cultural personal agenda to give glory to some person other than God. The elders, the board, at Element, we want you to hear a clear voice that speaks Jesus, who he is, what he has done. I mean, sometimes you will open up your Bible and you'll read the scriptures and you'll have a hard time understanding. Then you get some decent preaching, hopefully, and all of a sudden it begins to make a little bit more sense to you. You know, in light of Christ, it opens up. God gives the gospel through people who hopefully, you know, this gets preached then with authority. Any authority I have to speak to you simply comes out of my respect for God's authority. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So then he goes on and tells us that gospel. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So Paul tells you, I didn't make this up. You know, crazy people, again, have come to Element before, and maybe I attract them, I, I don't know, and they say, well, you seem kind of hip and cool, but you only talk about Jesus. And I'm like, right, that's, that's what I talk about, that's all I got. I got no new stuff, I just recycle. It's like, I got Jesus, and I got Jesus again, and I got... Jesus again. That's, that's, that's all I give you. I give you Jesus because that's the gospel. If I get any new ideas, the next thing you know, we're going to be like mixing Kool-Aid in the back and we're in the same tennis shoes and waiting for the comet. And, and we don't want that to happen. You know, I, We don't make new doctrines. Okay, If you get something that God didn't share with his kids for 2,000 years, just lock yourself in a closet and don't come out. Okay, That's my advice to you. That's what you need to do. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What I will tell you is the same thing that Paul would have told you. is the same thing that Martin Luther would have told you. The same thing that John Calvin would have told you. It's not innovative, but it is very powerful. You know, because I'd rather have God's power than, you know, some man-made trendy garbage that's gone tomorrow. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I sound like a CD with a scratch in it because I keep saying the same thing. I know, but that is what we are to do. We're to be a people. Oh, Jesus, you heard about Jesus? Pass it on. Jesus, pass it on. Jesus, we're all about Jesus. Okay? He says, first importance. The, the Bible is full of all kinds of stuff, you know, from goats to leaves covering your sugar lumps to moonshine, all kinds of stuff in there. And it's a book that has like all this stuff in it, but, but nothing is really in order of prominence. It's, it's just there. And this is why a lot of churches get together and they argue over all kinds of stuff like women and head coverings and beer and tongues and rapture and not rapture, whatever. Some things are of first importance. What is of first importance? Jesus, the gospel, first importance, life, death, resurrection of Christ, redemption so we can be in a relationship with God again. First importance, that's what we preach. You know, this means that you and I can agree to disagree about certain things. You know, you can say, you know, everybody's speaking tongues or Jesus comes back just like the left behind books. Okay. And I can disagree with you and we're okay because it's secondary. You know, but denial of the death, burial and resurrection, that's what we will fight about. Okay, that's what we'll fight about because that is first importance. We cannot disagree about that. We are not flexible as a church when it comes to matters of Jesus and first importance. Now, are there some things that we as element are very loose on? Oh, yeah, and some things are very rigid because we distinguish between primary and secondary. I will never declare war on somebody if they want to believe in a preacher of rapture with a premillennial mindset, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. Exactly. Okay. I will declare war on someone if they come here to preach a different gospel. We do declare war on something like that. There are some mainline churches out there today that start to preach now that Jesus was taken off the cross and thrown into a ditch and eaten by dogs. We will fight about that. 
we will fight about something like that. And so what does Paul see as first importance? He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for what? Our sins, okay? Our sins according to the scriptures. I mean, this means your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven and your Bible is validated. See, Isaiah said he would become, he'd be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. He would go to the temple. The temple is destroyed in 70 AD, so he's got to come before that. He'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, riding to town on a donkey. Jesus fulfills the scriptures and that validates the word of God. God breathes it. Our sins are forgiven. We can believe that and have a relationship with him again. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Because if you don't believe me, you know, go find the crowds of 500 that saw him. There are thousands of people you can go ask. Go talk to one of them. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, who is James? His brother. That's Jesus' brother. And there's tremendous evidence to get your brother to worship you as God. Tremendous evidence. I was a little brother. Jesus was a big brother. Same mom, different dad, obviously. What my big brother did to me growing up, it, it's crazy. Okay? You know, I think my brother used to punch me just because it's fun to watch me cry. Okay? He would, he, he'd go, oh, you know, let's go box in the backyard. I'll give you a quarter. You know, you're a little kid. Quarter's like a million dollars when you're a little kid, right? So it's like, oh, it's shiny. It's round. Okay. So I go out there, put on my gloves, smack! And I go running in the house. I never, I think he owes me like $100,000 at this point. Because I, I don't think I ever got paid my, my, my quarter. But you know, big brothers prove the food chain. Okay, that's what they do. I never confuse my big brother with God. With lots of other things, but never God. Okay? James, though, comes, becomes a believer and a pastor in the early church. This is cause and effect. This is resurrection. This is, you know, how does Saturday worship go to Sunday worship? How do cowards change into men of courage? How does Peter, who denies Jesus, all of a sudden become the leader of the apostles and someone who dies on a cross just like Jesus, but upside down so he didn't die just like Jesus? And how does James go from being an ambivalent guy to a pastor in the early church? Cause, effect. Jesus rose from the dead. That is what it is. Verse 8, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And that's Paul. You know, what did Paul previously do? Killed Christians. He killed Christians. Paul now shows himself as an example of what the resurrection accomplishes. You know, Paul hated Christians. And the first time you see Paul... He is giving his approval to the bloody murder of the church deacon Stephen in Acts 6 through 8. And Paul then, he gets some letters to go out to hunt down some other Christians because he wants to kill him. Jesus shows up, beats him up, knocks him on his butt. In Acts 9, 4, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So you see, Jesus takes the persecution of his church very seriously. And you have Paul, who wasn't looking to become a Christian. Now he becomes one, and he pastors churches. The same people he preaches to are the same ones he used to try and murder. And he says, I would not... Preach this unless the resurrection was true. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. The whole point of the empty tomb and the resurrection is grace. Paul couldn't pay God back. He killed Christians. I mean, if you're one of those weird people who believe in karma, you, you can't work that off, okay? You come back as like an ant and get stepped on, you're still not working off killing a whole bunch of Christians. That, that's not going to work that way. You know, what Paul says that grace is what transformed him. Grace, the grace of God at the cross, God's wrath is poured out on Christ, and we receive grace because of the empty tomb. 
We are to be a grace-centered people. Verse 10, he says, No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was given me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Resurrection. And what Paul does now is he, is he takes kind of a little change in his tact, and he does what in, in logic is called a reductio ad absurdum. It is, it is an argument that is taken to its farthest conclusion to show its absurdity. Like you say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. So somebody brings in a horse and goes, okay, let's cut it up and eat it. And you're like, that's disgusting. You know, it's, it shows you how absurd that your argument was. And so the best way to show someone when they're totally off is to totally agree with them and walk it out to its logical conclusion. So Paul's now saying some people believe the resurrection has not occurred and will not occur for us, so he walks that out. Verse 12, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Jesus is still in the tomb. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So so right now, I'd be wasting uh, your time and my breath. Some of you feel like that anyway, I know, but, but that's okay. You know, if Jesus didn't die, then Christianity is completely useless. You may as well be like a door-to-door atheist doing evangelism. Hi, you want to believe in nothing? Okay, whatever, all right. Because there's nothing to say. There's just nothing to say, period. If he didn't rise, what is there to speak about? Nothing. The Old Testament is a lie because it talked about God loving us and sending a Redeemer and coming to save us and bringing us back into relationship with Him again. And then it didn't take place, so that's a lie. There's just nothing to preach. Faith becomes useless. I should just get up every day and do devotions to Harry Potter and, and pray to the leprechauns and eat my lucky charms. And, then, and maybe a cyclops will show up and drive me to work. I don't know. It's just, it's just stupid because your faith is useless apart from a living God. If your God is dead, your faith is useless. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. So not only that, but we're liars if that's the case. We go tell people Jesus can heal, Jesus can love, he can forgive, he can make all things new. Really? No, psych. (laughs) We've got nothing for you, we're just lying. You know, that's all we're doing if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Now, uh, I was having lunch with this friend of mine. Uh, he's a pastor. And I'll tell you, if you ever want to be want, totally frustrated, go out to lunch with the pastor. They're just frustrating people. Anyway, I, I know, okay, because I, I live with myself, so I, I know this. Uh, so we're talking about, he's asking a bunch of questions about Element, you know, because we're new and all that. And so I told him, you know, what we're doing. And so I started asking him some questions. And it's kind of interesting. A lot of pastors, you know, see this as their job. And, you know, they, they want people to come to church so they can get paid. And I'm like, it's about so much more than that. That is, I mean, it is about Jesus. And, and he says, he, he, goes, he goes, well, you don't just go to church for Jesus. And I go, what? That's when bad words come out of my mouth. Because I'm just like, well, what? Because the whole point of what we do is Jesus. And then he goes, he goes, well, there's people to talk to. And I'm like, well, yeah, there is. But the whole point of the church is Jesus. If it's just about people to talk to, what's well, more fun down at the pub than at the church? You know, if the church is just a club, you don't need to be here. You can go somewhere else and do that. It's cheaper to buy beer than tithe if you give, okay? <laughs> if Jesus isn't risen, we should just go meet down at the BevMo for lunch. You guys are like, okay, let's go. You know, I... Paul says, if Christ is not raised, then what are we even doing? We are wasting our time. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That word means dumb, and you are still in your sins. You're screwed, and there's nothing you can do about it. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Your grandma who died, 
tough. She's a hot dog on Satan's barbecue. You know, all those little kids who died with leukemia, sorry, plant food. That's all they are. It was a dumb waste of time. And we should be pitied more than all people because we made up a sky fairy that we put in our own minds. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Is that not true? That is totally true. Apart from a living God, we are fools. And you've got to love Paul because you know this is coming. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It's good news because we're getting depressed, right? It's better news. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, here's something cool. Uh, Jesus died during Passover. Uh, and then he rises on Sunday, which is a feast in the Jewish calendar. You know what that feast is called? The Feast of First Fruits, okay? The Feast of First Fruits. This feast is where God has his people come to him and worship, and they bring him their first and their best. So if you own an orange farm or orange orchard, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, you would go and you take the best of your oranges. You walk down, you take the, the best off your trees, and you'd bring that, and you'd give that to God. You know, you wouldn't take, oh, here's this tree, and it's two months out of date, and they're all on the ground. Oh, I'll just take these because they're brown, and no one will buy them and eat them. And you go, oh, here, God, here's your stuff. No, here's the first fruits. You grab the first and the best off your trees. If you raise cattle, okay, you would, you would go, you wouldn't take uh, the, the cattle that's got like three udder, udders and a, and a hoof grown out of its head that was raised next nuclear power plant, okay? You would take your first and your best, and you would bring that and you would give that to God, your first and your best. He tells us Jesus rose on the day of first fruits, and he is our first fruits, meaning he was the first to rise and the best to rise but not the only one who will rise. He is not the end of the harvest. What God began with Jesus, he will continue on. Jesus promises that we will rise in him and we will see this by faith. God built this whole idea of faith and trust from the very beginning. You give your first portion to him and you have faith that the rest is going to come in. It is a trusting of God. And we, as God's people, are to be a people of first fruits. We give to God first. You don't squeeze God in between the cable and the 12-pack. You give to God first. He is the first and the best. We recognize this and we live in faith, understanding that we, too, are part of the harvest, that we will rise in Christ. Now, uh, I'm going to skip some verses because we'll never get out of this unless I do. So I want you to skip down uh, to verse 30. Paul eventually goes to a place that's kind of very practical in this because God has to relate. You know, if you go to work eight hours a day and, that doesn't, and God doesn't change how you live, well, then it's a little bit worthless. You know, if God can't go grocery shopping part of your life with your friends and your family and all and what you eat and whatever you wear, well, it becomes kind of useless. Everything, though, is spiritual. The Hebrews didn't even have a word for spiritual because they believed everything in their lives was connected to God. So everything was actually spiritual. Okay? So uh, this goes very practical about the resurrection, verse 30. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? You know, because of the resurrection. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love this line. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons... He doesn't even explain that. He just glosses. I'm like, what? That's, like, that's a dude right there. I mean, that's like, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, I'm like, explain that. I, I'd pay to see the show, you know. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised. You know, if Jesus is dead, he goes, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's Isaiah 22, verse 3, or Dave Matthews' song if you're into Dave Matthews. You know. If Jesus is dead, you know, then eat all the meat you want, drink all the wine you can get your hands on, be a freak, Test the boundaries of everything. And if you live, lucky you. If you live, lucky you. If there is no God or sin and Jesus is also plant food and so are we, well, then everyone around you are people just to use. 
You know, forget being nice to anybody. Other people are just in the way. Run them over. You know, live your life. Do whatever you want to do. That would make sense if there was no God. You know, we, we are not good people, you and I. We just lack opportunity. I mean, if God's love did not constrain us, we'd be nuts. It'd be insane in this world. If you have a cool car and not some, like, cheap clunker, I would steal it. Okay, if there's no, I'd steal it, and I'd drive it around, and I'd wreck it, and then I'd go get another. I would eat the meat out of your fridge, I would steal your beer, and I'd wait for you to go shopping again. I would call myself king and lord and walk around that way. Some of you are tempted to do that with yourself as it is right now. You know? But you know, if Jesus is dead and so will we be, then what's the point? Some people go, oh, well, it's like Star Trek. We're, we're supposed to be noble people. Pfft, noble. You know, there's no God. Forget it. I'm doing whatever I want to do. You know? it's, it's why some people live the way that they do. Jesus... If Jesus didn't rise, do whatever you want and then die because it'll all be over. But if he did rise, then that changes everything. It changes everything in how we live. I think the nice atheist is a hypocrite because you shouldn't be nice because you've got nothing constraining you other than the conscience that God actually gave you. There's no reason to be kind or nice. Paul says Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so he goes on in verse 33 and he says, do not, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I mean, Paul's like, you don't even remember the resurrection. What's happened is you are hanging out with people who preach a false gospel, and you are beginning to live as if you are dead. He says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. He says, stop, not just slow down, but stop. Because if Jesus is king and Lord and rose from the dead, then things must change. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Again, he is writing to Christians. He says, don't forget the resurrection. Because if Jesus is really alive, it should change everything and how we live. And this is the grand finale. Go to verse 54. I love this. He says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So he mocks sin and death. The sting of sin... The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, this is good news. He gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection. Because it is true, everything changes. Sin, death, beaten. Jesus is victorious over our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. You have victory. You need to live and walk in what he has given you. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm and let nothing move you. Get rid of your excuses and stop running from your calling saying, well, I really made a mess of things. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You stand firm. You quit running. You live the life that God says that you can really live. You trust the resurrection of Christ and say, because Jesus is alive, everything has changed. Everything has changed. I mean, you will have trouble in this life, okay? Don't ever think that you won't. Don't think that coming to Jesus makes everything all better. Jesus says you will have trouble. Jesus was killed. Every person you read in Scripture that you really like usually gets killed. Okay? It's, it's kind of sad. You know? Don't think that sometimes you and I are going to get off by just holding hands and singing show tunes and reading greeting cards. It, it doesn't go that way. Sometimes this world and the fight that we live in can be hell. You stand firm. If you love God, then you love God. If you serve God, then you serve God in whatever he calls you to do. And in verse 58 at the end, he says, Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is what? Anybody have that? Not in vain. Not in vain. And that should get you out of bed in the morning. You know, again, we may seem like we're a little nuts because we're supposed to love those who hate us and pray for those who persecute us and keep telling everybody about Jesus even when nothing seems to get better. Sometimes you may think that you don't even see the power of the gospel. It doesn't seem like we're winning. and Sometimes it doesn't look like Jesus is king. But Paul makes a promise. 
everything you do is not in vain. So we should be a people who honor Jesus with our lives, even when everything in the world tells us that you're being an idiot, because it is not in vain. Sometimes you may feel like it is, but it is not. What is done in Christ is not in vain. Living for Jesus is the least crazy thing you will ever do with your life. So much of the rest of your life is crazy. I mean, we waste our time and our money and throw our lot in with with idiot friends that lead to dead ends. But Paul says everything you do out of love for Christ is worth it. Every single bit. Never in vain. Have you ever done something, you know, with the right motives and simply because you loved God and regretted it? No. No. No matter the cost, it's worth it every time. Paul says, Jesus rose from the dead. Follow him. Give yourself fully to his work because he gave himself fully so that we can be redeemed. You know, we are people who are called because of what Jesus has done to respond to what he has done. Uh, If you are not a believer, if you don't believe in Jesus, you know, this morning the call to you is that you would come to faith, that you would understand that, that Jesus is risen and that you can have life in his name. Everything for you can be different. If you call yourself a believer, you know, then you know what? You need to be like we looked at Mary last week who went and told of the good news, you know, who talked about it and showed by how she lived and what she did because the world is filled with terrible news. You need to give people some good news. You know, or you can be like Paul that we're looking at today, who you devote yourself fully to the work of Christ and your life is completely transformed. And it is all because the resurrection is true and the resurrection happened and it is awesome. You know, we, we come to communion every week. And sometimes I bring you here and I bring you all down. It's like, oh, communion. I want you really sex. I want you to deal with your sin. Today, come to communion in joy. Jesus rose from the dead. Everything has changed. Everything is different. Your life has meaning and purpose because the resurrection is true. So you come to communion. You take that cracker and you break it like his body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And it's a joyous occasion because he rose from the dead. He forgave your sin. He brought you back to life and, and reconciled you to God. It's a great thing. Woo! Okay. (laughs) We're going to worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some uh, elders and deacons in the back of the hallway. And if you do not know who Jesus Christ is and you have questions about that, you should go and talk to them because they'd love to talk to you about Jesus. If you are somebody who has wasted your life away and you've been living like the resurrection is not true, you need to go and pray with them as well because they would love to talk to you about that. Maybe help get you on a course going to help you live like Jesus really is alive because he is uh, the band's going to come up a couple more songs and as they do these songs you are invited to like I said take communion to pray to, to worship God by responding in joy to what he has done for you and I you know pray and ask God you know, how am I not living in my life right now uh, as if the resurrection was true how am I to live that way because I need to live that way Uh, We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the side walls in the back of the room. And we give simply because God gave so much to us. First fruits, see? And then we're going to worship God through fellowship where you guys get to hang out and talk to each other. Uh, You know, maybe go to lunch because it's going to be lunchtime right after this. Take some people with you. I mean, the, the beauty of Jesus, you know, everything we do here is about Jesus. But Jesus died and rose so we can be reconciled to God. That also means that he has restored relationships between you and I, again, so that we can be a people who actually have reconciled relationships. And so we worship God also through fellowship. And this morning, I encourage you guys to do that. Get to know some other people. You know, worship Jesus 
as he intended us with every part of your life. And then you'll get up and you'll, and you'll leave these doors and you'll go out and live your life. And how you live your life is so much more important out there than in here. People need to see that the risen Jesus is actually real and makes a difference in your life. And they will only see that by how you live. So live as if he has risen. Because he is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as a people would be those who understand your resurrection and we live as if it is true. Because it is. God, take us from being those who are timid and not understanding a whole lot of uh, life and, and, and what's going on and be, have us be a people who can fully trust in you that we don't have to be timid or scared but we can be those who you call your own and whose lives have been completely changed by the power of your resurrection God when we live differently Convict us and remind us not to live differently because we think we're better than other people. But we just live differently simply because we love you and you have made us different. Have us be those who, like Mary, tells everybody the good news because our world desperately needs it. And help us to be like Paul whose life was completely changed because of how you had changed him. Have us truly live and walk as your children. God, we are here this morning to offer corporately our worship to you as a people gathered together saying thank you for stepping into our darkness and leading us to your wonderful light. Amen.